Hello and welcome to Joe Talks Comics. This is the podcast hosted by me, Joe Loves Comics. And that's not normally how I start this. I knew that felt wrong. Um, I talk with friends, but the comics have been really enjoying lately, plus occasional solo episodes and creator interviews. That's it. I I don't have the script up anymore because I, I just know it and I just go with it. And I at times I say something slightly different, which just well, adds to the variety of it. Anyway, this week I talked with Tom Ray Fogel about the new Sumerian book, How I Became a Shoplifter. All three issues hopefully might be out by the time you're listening to this. And the exciting thing is that I also invited Michael Lee to comics back to talk to Tom as well. So, yeah, he, he's also recording this intro with me. Yes, hello. Thank you again for having me. I was uh, incredibly stoked. I was re- doing a live sale whenever you sent me the message that Tom had reached out about oh, nice. uh, doing an interview on here. And, you know, that was right after the first issue came out, which I yeah, I, I love this. Uh, the book we're talking about, it's uh, How I Became a Shoplifter from Sumerian Comics. There is uh, so many creatives tied to this book, um, which we'll definitely mention as many as we could during the recording. But I I know that unfortunately we didn't land everybody, I don't think. Um, Yeah, and that intro might might have seemed a bit chaotic because it's always fun when, well, I say it's always fun, this is only the second time we've done it. But we recording this intro like right after recording, we had the, the all like after recording chat with Tom. And then we've just gone straight into recording this intro, so we're still writing off that uh, chaotic energy, so that sort of like buzzing energy. We've still got that like recording energy, I've said energy way too many times. Let's see, exactly. It's okay. It's just the intro. We handle ourselves well during the interview. People aren't here for this part. This is just a, hey, this is what we're doing today. Get ready to meet a, a rad lad to talk about a rad book. Um, but I really love this conversation. I, I'm stoked that you had me on for this second creator interview. Um, I can't wait for folks to both read this book and then you know hear this interview. I think Tom has some amazing insight to add to this already really, really fun book. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't say too much more because you want, you want to get into it and listen to the interview. And But I did enjoy the different perspectives that we brought, and that's something we get into quite early on in terms of like the like age gaps and sort of like generations and the idea of that nostalgia and how different people like reflect of it. That's something you mentioned. So it was it was an interesting and fun conversation. Yeah, I I agree. And you know, plus the the after talk is it's nice getting to talk to these creatives off air and you know, really just reflect on how all the stuff we talked about, but even go deeper into some of the inner workings of all of this and um, Tom being this is his first published comic um had had some really interesting things to add about what it was like uh putting together the creative team for this series so um i I think that uh, what's fun about this interview is what is clear to me as the vision of this book was just as clear when he was creating this book some of the things uh i had questions about he brought up before i even had the chance to because of just how intentional every last bit of this book really is yeah, exactly. There's so much like care and interesting details. It it just it it's such a cool um like book in terms of its construction because this is something that I always find fascinating and touch on the idea of something that makes it like unique and stand out and like the the overall experience is what I'm trying what I realize I'm trying to say of reading the book beyond just like the story and the art, but in terms of, like the the design features the like the covers, if there's like chapter breaks, like there is here, and 
like other books, like what's the first place from here with from Rosenberg and Tyler Boss and Hassan Altman, how, 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 how it does their lettering on here. So yeah, it, it was a really fun read. So I hope you um can get the chance to check it out if you haven't already, because I, I know we would both recommend you try if it's the sort of thing you'd be interested in. And I might just uh, drop the solicitation for yeah. full transparency for folks to know what we're talking about here if you haven't heard of how i became a shoplifter we're looking at crime through boredom folks a year-by-year look at the final generation of juvenile delinquents before technology took over watch the comical cast of characters grow up as each chapter is set in a different year of adolescence 1996 to 2003 so you are in for a hell of a time capsule story here but as we mentioned you know we're getting a few different generations of perspective here. Um, Tom has his as a writer uh, and his being the oldest of the three of us. And with about, you know, enough gaps between all of us, I think we managed to capture a lot of what makes this book a little bit more accessible than some might think upon reading Mm. that it's, you know, set in 1996 to 2003 with this, um, you know, nostalgia wrapped in it. But, uh, there, there's there's something deeper going in in this book that we'll definitely touch into as we get into talking about the the final issue, which uh, by the time you're listening to this, I, I believe should be out or getting ready to. But uh, we try to avoid too heavy of spoilers. Yeah, we sort of heavily allude to the ending for issue three, so there's maybe a, a couple of points which we don't sort of explicitly say, but. Um... Yeah, overall, it's a very accessible conversation, and as my colleague said, it's something that I can attest to in terms of it being an accessible issue, and that's something that I bring up with my perspective, which also highlights that point about the different perspectives. But if as long as we don't have anything else to add, we can like get straight into it. If that's if we don't have anything else, I'm all set. Let's go. So, Tom, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. I know we we talked a bit before recording so i'm glad we're starting to get into it and i'm looking forward to this conversation i think it's going to be a fun one yeah and, and of course we will you already know that my today will be returning for this interview because i would have recorded the intro with them but yeah just uh, welcome back to you for the i don't know how many times now but maybe third time or second time as a recorded as of release should be. <laughs> I was about to say, depending on release day, it it could vary because I think yeah, change by literally two days from now there'll be another one up. Yeah. But anyway, so Tom, before we get into it, or just to start to get into it, do you want to introduce yourself to anyone that hasn't heard of you, or and then we can talk a bit about the book. Yeah, totally. My name's Tom Breifogel. I just put out uh, my first published comic. It's called How I Became a Shoplifter on Sumerian Comics. Uh, by the time this airs, issue three will just about to be uh, coming out. And that's it's a three-issue miniseries. And then later in the year, uh, Collected Trade will come out with all of them. Very, very exciting. <laughs> so do you want to ask one of your first questions, Matthew, to get us started? I'm just going to kind of dive into... Uh some more of the conversational side of it. So mm-hmm. whenever I stumbled upon this comic for the first time, I don't think I had 
found your page yet, it was through Sumerian posting the Clerks homage cover for issue one, which as soon as I saw that, it was my first time seeing the name, how I became a shoplifter. And then I saw that cover. I was like, holy shit, holy shit, holy (laughs) shit. Um, So that is actually one of my questions is I was curious if you actually had a say in that homage being the one that was like used for that cover. Um, because one, it's fitting as hell. This very much feels like a, a, a new age clerks of sorts. Um, and yeah, I was just kind of curious about that. Yeah, yeah, I totally did. I, I hit up Nathan at Sumerian and was like, are we allowed to do this? When I told him the idea, he was totally down. And then, yes, that one was so interesting because it there's two versions of that one. There's one in color. So if there's ever a second printing or something, it'll be in color. But so we did the black and white version, the color version, and then getting the letters right. Uh, it was so much harder than I thought it would be getting them to look totally authentic. Uh, the guy who lettered that one, Bernardo Bryce, who did the cover, he and I worked really hard back and forth and he did a bunch of research. I didn't know where all those letters came from on Clerks. Like one of them's from Rolling Stone. One of them's from Ruffles Potato mm. Chips. Oh, and that is, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that either. Yeah, Calvin Klein. Like, so so he gathered all that. And then after, and, it, the, and at that time, we were nearing the very end of like the deadline for it. So it was like a lot of like late night emails back and forth and he killed it. And yeah, so it, it came out great. Uh, we, we tried versions where it said how I became a shoplifter with all the different letters instead of just the word shoplifter. But uh, I think it ended up working best like that. I think it's perfect. I think it, <laughs> and as a huge fan of Kevin Smith and the Clerks movies, especially, I mean, I grew up on those um, very early on, Mallrats being my, my favorite and first exposure to Kevin Smith. But um, no, I, I saw that and I was like, okay, between the name and this cover, that that's all I needed to know about it. But now even knowing, I mean, as many times as I've watched that and the commentaries and all these things, I've never once heard Kevin talk about the lettering on that poster. So that's very fascinating as just a Kevin Smith fan to know that. Um, but no, I'm, that's really cool to know that you actually got to say, I want to do this. This this is like perfect because I frankly, I don't know anything about what, it takes to be allowed to do an homage cover and stuff like that. And especially having, you know, secret stash press coming out right now with the quick stops and masquerade and whatever else Kevin's uh, brewing up for us. Um, I thought it was very cool to see that if there was some sort of thing needed to like get permission or whatever, that if, you know, it wasn't a barrier kind of thing because it, it happened. I own it. It's, it's awesome. And it looks just as killer as it did whenever I stumbled on it on Instagram. I, I was stoked. I, I told my boss, I was like, you need to order up on this book because I'm stoked for it. And I need to make sure we get this ratio in. And so <laughs> we sold out, um, like completely. I think we maybe have the one and the other ratios left, but, uh, then we even had somebody come in and get us the second copy of the clerk's cover because of how much we all loved it. So, uh, well, that's great to hear. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, I was I grew up on Kevin Smith as well and was uh, exposed to his movies probably at too young of an age, yeah, but it, <laughs> it worked out great. Yeah, it was um, stories fitting because I, I live in California, but I'm at my dad's house right now in Ohio and this story involves <laughs> him. So it's worth talking about when I was 11. This radio station in my hometown had this thing called the Top 10 at 10, where uh listeners would be like this next song is from rancid out come the wolves like you'd each fan would be saying what the next song is and i really wanted to be on the radio and and say this next song is from so-and-so and i just kept like calling and calling and calling like can i be on the top 10 of 10 and the, the guy at the radio station was like you're a pain in my ass kid and when he said that i guess my dad was had picked up the phone to make a call and my dad's like who's this guy calling my son a pain in the ass <laughs> so 
so he wrote this angry letter to the radio station, and then the radio station wrote back uh, a letter, an actual letter. These aren't emails, an actual letter apologizing, <laughs> and they gave me the Mallrats CD as an apology gift. <laughs> and then that's how I heard of what Mallrats was, and then I went and rented it and loved it. And then my brother was like, oh, Mallrats, isn't, Mallrats sucks. You got to check out Clerks. And then I, that's how I got into both of those like at age 11. Okay, fun. so Tom, it is uncanny how similar that is now i didn't call on any radio station for this mall rat cd but you know for me it was stumbling upon mall rats on cable television which you know and I've, i talk about this a ton in person anytime i talk kevin smith but on the mall rats 25th anniversary edition they just released through arrow they include the theatrical release they include the extended release from the 10th anniversary or 15th anniversary whichever one that was and then they include the tv cut and i look at <laughs> i've the never seen on that it and the tv cut is missing exactly 10 minutes of the movie so you know the exact scenes that are missing because they don't put the nudity on the cable so yeah. i remember the first time i finally watched mall rats in entirety uncensored regularly and i'm like okay this isn't as silly of a movie as i thought this movie is the shit this is like <laughs> blowing my mind and then through that, my older brother was like, dude, okay, if you like mall rats, then you need to look at, you need to watch Clerks. And he told me the story about how Clerks was made. And I was like, wait, you can just do that? <laughs> yeah. And it blew my mind. So eventually he started living with us and I, I, I checked it out one day and sure enough, I was set. I was like, I'm going to make my own goddamn movie. I'm going to do this. And so Kevin Smith has been a long running idol since about the same damn age. Um, and I've got a buddy, uh, Joel, who is absolutely going to be tuning into this. He he hasn't gotten his in the mail yet to read the first issue, but goddamn, if if he wouldn't be resonating with this, our our love of radio um, back home in Kansas City is one of the things that fueled our friendship. So knowing that that, that story is golden, and and you know I've heard so many stories from him, and I remember days of calling in and trying to get the request lines and giving my buddy a shout out while we're playing like Xbox 360 and stuff. So it, it's funny that it's happening in different time periods, but it's such a similar, you know, founding of the same joys and connections and stuff. I think that's hilarious, which, you know, brings me to one of the things that, you know, we talked about a little bit already. And I know I've talked about immensely because I work at a comic shop and all the people who have talked to me other than Joe now about this book are older than me. And they're about the age of the characters, roughly, um, maybe a little bit younger in some cases, maybe a little bit older in other cases, but more or less, they grew up, you know, before my time, their lives line up a lot more with this. So they have nostalgia on one layer. I have this 1996 nostalgia from like, I was born in the late nineties. I experienced what left over at like nineties aftershock. It happened in the early two thousands of which that's when this story takes place. And then we get to Joe who, you know, was born the year that this comic, you know, ends up in 2003. And throughout all of that, you know, drastically different experiences. I know at one point you even mentioned, um, like, being on your podcast, getting exposed to different movies that other friends of yours grew up on that you didn't. And I know with Joe and I, I recently saw him reviewing The Incredibles for the first time. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we had these talks. And so it, it these... It's something that I think is very impactful about a book that seemingly operates on a lot of nostalgia with a lot of the references and, and the goofs and gaffes that is working on to for at least, you know, three generations, it seems. Um, 
And now, is that something that you thought maybe would be an issue with this? Of like, okay, I mean, who does who's this audience that I'm reaching? And did you feel at all that any point you'd have the capacity to connect to three different generations to the scale at which you know I've just presented from my own like shop experience and with Joe here? Well, I first before I say that, I, I should have talked a little bit more about the book when I introduced myself. So How I Became a Shoplifter, uh, is about, it's, there's 11 different chapters, 11 different short stories uh, following these characters, and each chapter's in a different year from 1996 to 2003. So that's where the nostalgia and all that's coming about. But no, when I wrote it, it's, I uh, wrote a book called Father Figure, which is going to be coming out next year. Father Figure was written first, and it's about a guy named Phil who's 35. And all of these flashback stories were all of these short stories that became how I became a shoplifter. So when writing Father Figure, it's it's based in 2019. I wasn't uh, thinking too much about the nostalgia factor or things like that. The character of Phil is definitely kind of stuck in the past in 2019. And there's a lot of references to those things. And then hence why there's a lot of that in these flashbacks. But I guess as far as when the stories were actually being made, I want I hope people can just enjoy the stories for what they are, even if they don't get all the jokes or the things in the backgrounds. But I mean, that's a cool thing about comic books is where you can the reader can pick if they want to see things in the background or they can just zoom through the book. So I was very specific and de- and was just honest with what it felt like. I was trying to just like I don't have many pictures. I don't have a single picture of my childhood bedroom, but like the character of Phil, his childhood bedroom is pretty similar to what mine looked like. Uh, the the walls might have been shaped differently, but a lot of the posters were the exact same things like that. So I was just recreating uh, how it felt or trying my best to recreate how it felt uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. But no, I wasn't trying to uh, have it just be for people in their mid to late 30s. Like that's what these characters would be now. Because I, 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 I'm sorry, Joe. Sorry, I was just going to interject and say, because that was something that I thought was interesting about the first issue. And as I started to say before we were we were recording when we were just talking. I know my today sort of prepared me for if there were things that would like go over my head or that I wouldn't understand because of the nostalgia of it. And so I wasn't, I was wary isn't quite the right word, but I was sort of like ready to like accept that there might not be things that I would, uh, there might be things I wouldn't understand, but actually it was quite, it, it was sort of better than I was sort of expect, uh, expecting or hoping in that sense, because like there's one point in, in the first issue where one of the main characters is like, what's going on? Like, what are these words? And then so that was me. And then there were times when that there was, you put like an editor's note sort of thing about a particular word. I'm like, oh, cool. That's what it means. So I thought you were quite like well, well accommodating to um, like including that nostalgia for, for like other people, but then also making sure that like people like me that could still understand it and follow it and enjoy the book otherwise yeah i know what part you're talking about there i I have had some people be like i used to hang out with a dude who looked just like this character he's talking about (laughs) a uh a drug dealing juggalo uh character where yeah that story was based off of uh i was at a party in high school once and then uh with uh, some of my good friends are juggalos and i didn't realize all of a sudden i was the only non-juggalo at the party and they were all saying all those words and stuff and i had no idea what any of it i was like what the hell is going on and then like 15 years later i was on tour as a drummer playing in this band and uh, we were playing a show and next door to our venue uh, twisted was playing and all of their fans waiting in line were coming in to use the restroom 
And I was like, you guys want to see something? And like grabbed the mic and would say something and they would all start chanting stuff back. And the guys on stage were like, what the hell are you doing? Like, how do you know? What are you talking about? Yeah, that's what uh, that story was inspired by. Huh. That's hilarious because that's, I mean, that's one of the exact moments that I went to Joe. I was like, before you read this book, because I knew he didn't have immediate access of it. Um, I was like, just a, a pure quick little test. Do you know, like, does the word juggalo mean anything to you? And he's like, nope. I was like, all right, cool. I'm excited to see where this goes. Um, <laughs> but I know, I mean, like, and one of the things that Joe mentioned in in his review, or at least even to me uh, directly, was how interesting it is to think about being alive during a time when Sm- uh, All Star by Smash Mouth had been released, but not assigned to Shrek yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's funny. It, yeah, because, like, sorry. No, you're good. No, no, because like, because for my whole life, that's just they're like inexplicably intertwined. It's like a law of nature that is like Smash Mouth and All Star specifically, and Shrek is like I, I don't think I've ever even heard any other song by them. Like, <laughs> I'm assuming they have other songs, but I've never heard them. See, that's, so and that's the joy of it because I definitely knew the music before, um, even just like as like a four to five year old listening to. Right. all-star before shrek came out so when shrek came out i was like ah, i love these songs and <laughs> it was one of those songs that i really latched on to and definitely one of those bands i latched on to early on and then to have like an older brother-in-law who actually loves one of those albums um in full and i'm like cool i'll have to check it out one of these days and i still have yet to do it but like <laughs> yeah. what we're like back to what we're saying like I, I do think that you absolutely nailed that balance because i can read this book and if i'm wanting to just turn my brain off and just read straight through and laugh my ass off still and then i can laugh even harder as i go back to tell you know reflecting because my boss read this issue before me um which is a rarity and he's like, okay, so at the shop, he told me to stop doing stuff, had me sit down on the clock and read the first issue. So, you know, then going back and referencing different things and noticing the things that, you know, he picked up on a small detail that I missed, or I pointed out a small detail that he missed and the things that we, we both connected with, like, cause like I said, he's the age of these characters would be now. And, you know, I'm me. So we've got this like 12 year gap between us. That's very, very fun to see. You know, he was curious himself. He read it. He's like, I want to know if you get this because, I mean, to give you a frame of reference, he even just as recently as a couple weeks ago freaked out that I knew who Kirby was. And I'm like, dude, I'm not that much younger than you. And Kirby never went anywhere. (laughs) But like, um, no, and then we even have someone who, one of the people who was very excited to get the clerk's homage for it. Uh, his son is a huge Kevin Smith fan in part, but he's like, he's even younger than Joe. I think he's in middle school, maybe freshman in high school at the oldest. So we've been waiting for him to get around to reading it so we can have his insight, which will just be one more layer of, well, you're getting this through your parents. We're getting it through our friends or older siblings, whoever it is you're getting it through. It doesn't have to be the same exact nostalgia experience because no matter what, all these things they're clicking with the people that they click with wherever they click with. So even if, you know, it makes, cause it's not that I still assign all-star to Shrek, even though I knew it before Shrek, it's still now in my mind as Shrek. But I thought that was an interesting thing when Joe's like, how interesting to think that somebody could like exist right between whenever it was released in just a song and before it was in Shrek. Um, <laughs> but no, I just, I, that's one of my things that I love about this book so far. Uh, the most is that it really does manage to reach 
such a broad, broad audience still. Um, and I think one, you know, you, you kind of jumped ahead with one of the things I was going to get to eventually was father figure. Um, and as soon as I read issue three this morning, I was like, okay, so he father figures this, the whole point of this. Um, and like, that's what this was all leading to. These are, this is us getting to know this character via these flashback memories. And it's not, you know, first read through, I was looking at it as like, okay, this feels like just a dude putting out this comic memoir of goofy ass memories from his life, which yes, I am dying to know where the line of fiction and reality blur in this story. We've already gotten a little bit of that with that juggalo story you shared. Um, but I, I mean, like, deathly curious how the hell one comes up with the story if it's not remotely true that, you, you know, someone's sneaking backstage to get to a Smash Mouth show and <laughs> finding them coked off their asses <laughs> with their dicks out. <laughs> um, that story, when I was 15 years old, uh, I did sneak backstage at a Smash Mouth <gasps> concert, and I, it, was, it was to get an autograph for a girl. I did, I did get the autograph, but the shitty thing is like the girl, I just had a crush on the girl. We weren't dating or anything. And I was just trying, trying to be cool and be like, yo, here, I got you smash, smash mouth's autograph. And someone in the band, I forget which member was, uh, I think I told him the story and he's like, what's her name. And then he like put my name and her name in a heart on the, so I never gave her the image. Cause I wasn't, that'd be just creepy to be like, here you go. Oh my God. But I did get my picture with all of them. Those pictures are all, um, in a storage unit. Otherwise I was contemplating putting those pictures in the back of the book, but like blurring the singer's face a little bit. So he, I wouldn't put his face, but still be able to tell it's him. There's but yeah. There's time for the trade, right? There's time for the trade. <laughs> yeah. Get I gotta go. Get him matter, please. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, we got backstage and I, the opening band uh, were called 22 Jacks. And I'd seen 22 Jacks many times opening for a band called MXPX and then a band called lit. And so they recognized me and I guess none of their fans were coming to see them. So they were kind of psyched. So it wasn't that hard for me to get a backstage pass. So I had one. Uh. And then as a naive 15 year old, I just thought like, I have a backstage pass. Fuck you. I can do whatever I want. Like, so I was like in their dress, Smash Mouth's dressing room, like bugging them. And they're all like, okay, what is this kid doing like in our dressing room? And I'm like, I got a pass guys. It's all good. <laughs> wow. That is uh, that's the one I've been dying wow. for. of all the stories specifically that, that one that one just it broke me I'm still waiting for my buddy to read this back in Kansas City so that he can bust out his laugh uh, I can't even talk because I'm laughing on the inside so <laughs> knowing the truth makes it that much richer because in my mind I'm like you know a lot of comedy is just truth exaggerated and yeah, I see the exaggeration and it's it's so goddamn brilliant because it's not as exaggerated as one would think it would be because in your mind you're like, okay, how are these jackasses getting backstage to a Smash Mouth concert? You tell me that. And I'm like, that's how I've gotten into all sorts of areas that I wasn't necessarily expected to be in trying to play it cool um, even as recent, you know, like in the 2017, 2019 frame whenever I was getting into concerts at that age. And like, it's just... That, that just cracks me the hell up, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it was fun. They, the singer was kind of a dick, but he should have been a dick. <laughs> like we were in his dressing room. <laughs> so 
oh, that wow. is one of those times where it's like, look, meeting your heroes doesn't necessarily speak for how they are because whenever you're a 15 year old, look, man, I got to pass. I'm, just, I, I'm just picturing it as very much as Phil with you know the purple hair and just the confidence out the ass. <laughs> oh, that's golden. I, what? Wow. Joe, I know you had some questions about some of the style stuff. Not that I didn't, but you have the better wording for them. So I want you to kind of take over there for a bit. Right, yeah. So, first of all, one of the probably most obvious things to ask about is that each issue is, like, split up into the different, like, chapters and stories. And each one utilizes, like, a different creative team down to, like, the artists and any, like, inkers or colors they have. And then even some of them have, like, varying letterers. What was the, like, how did you come to that decision to use those different creative teams? And um, what, what was it like sort of bringing everyone together like that? There's a lot of answers yeah. for that. I guess the real answer, like, there's a lot of reasons. The one was, uh, I, I do think it's cool how they look slightly different in each chapter. Because mm. seeing some pictures from my childhood, you do look a little different every year. So I, I kind of liked that part of it. Also, it was... It was a good way to, before this, I, I had worked on a few comic books. None got published. Uh, a few when we, we finished, like issue one and pitched it around and things like that. And I didn't really have a big network of artists or anything like that. So this was such an undertaking of just me cold emailing or cold uh, direct right. messaging everybody. So for every one person in this book, like I hit up 10 people. So it was like, that was one of the, the hardest parts of the book. And then getting people, some of the artists like Daniel Hilliard, like he's one of my favorite artists and to get him, I hit him up to do father figure in 2018, like out of the blue. Like, and that's how we got to know each other a little bit. And obviously he said, no, I'm like this unpublished author asking like, Hey, do you want to do this 130 page story? And then uh, by the time I contacted him again, the book was about halfway done and he was really cool and just like, yeah, I'll do it. And it was five pages. So to get people to commit to five pages, was a lot easier than to get someone to commit, understandably, to mm. commit to like 130 pages. That's a really long commitment. And then uh, the time for, I was doing it all, this book started, like Father Figure was written in 2018, How I Became a Shoplifter. The writing started at the end of 2018. Then the art started like early 2019. And then like, it was, my goal was to like have it out in 2020, which uh, didn't hit that goal. But the, the art was pretty much done by the end of 2020. And then chapter one was redone in 2021. And then the Juggalo story was added last minute, which I'm really happy right. it was added. And then the epilogue was done twice as well. There's two different epilogues. Uh, so that epilogue was the one you t uh, read was just done two months ago. But yeah, so I guess just I wanted to work with a lot of different artists and wanted to work with a lot of different letterers and wanted the book to have a feel like that. It was initially just going to be a graphic novel. It wasn't going to be individual issues. But then when I broke it up into like side A and side B, it, it felt natural having it be the individual issues. And if there's ever another one, I don't know if there will be, but if there is, there'll be side uh, C and side D and have some stories already figured out for those. But uh, father figure and then another book I have written those are gonna come first before this nice and then so I think my follow-up question based on that which I worked out how I wanted to articulate while you were talking but when you were like reaching out to I guess when, when you had um that people like committed to the books and you could sort of see like who was doing what was it something that you like did as you were going along or did you sort of cast in a way like certain creative themes to certain sections of the book or was it not as sort of like specific as that it would be specific like i would have 
at one point, I believe like five of them were being drawn at the same time. Right. But yeah, no, like for Daniel to talk about him again, uh, like the page with all the Polaroids, I just thought he would kill that. And he did. And yeah, I thought that turned out great for um, like Gabriel Falzone, who he did the, uh, the Juggalo story, his art. I, I came across him. He won the Top Cal uh, Talent Search in 2020. That's how I heard of him. And then I just, that was for that, that was just like, that was the chapter that needed an artist. And I hit him up and he was available. And uh, I thought he was perfect for that. His attention to detail is incredible. And he had never heard of ICP or and he was, he's, uh, he was like, I think 24 at that time. So yeah, that was crazy compiling all of the references and things like that and explaining um, that band and everything like that to him. And yeah, I don't know, like Antonio Fabella, he's one of my favorite colorists in the world and just uh, from a book called Skyward on Image and just hit him up and he uh, was down. I don't know. I think some people, if they're around a certain age, really were into the idea to just commit to doing five pages and having fun with it. I really yes. It, mm. it really raises um, a, a few questions, really, especially... Um, you know, you mentioned some of the stories that didn't make the cut, and I'm, you know, the ones that made it at the last minute, like the Juggalo story, which I agree, I, I couldn't be happier that one made the cut. Um, and I, I think that, you know, what, what's cool is with each different chapter and all, you know, five page artists work at a time, it doesn't feel n- disconnected. It's still very much like you say, you look at a picture from various points in your life and, you know, whether it's the emotion, the way your hair looks that day, you know, whatever it is there, sometimes it's like, oh, wow, that's totally different. And these were just like a year apart. What the hell? Um, yeah. Mm. And I think that just it, it, it's cool to think that you could come from this place of being an unpublished comic creator now and be able to reach out to so many people and like you say, you know, one to 10, you know, every one person who's involved, there's another, you know, 10 people that weren't able to get involved for one reason or another. And just to, you know, the, the fact that you said Gabriel didn't even know about ICP and was able to do that. Um, I know you mentioned to me in private in issue two, the, uh, the page for the tattoos, how many like cues you had for the oh, yeah the for Juan Ramirez the artist on he's the artist on father figure yeah he did an incredible job on that there's a there's a page where it's all tattoo art and it has 35 different bands being represented like mm-hmm. say the band silver chair there's a, a a chair that's silver and if there's a, a third eye blind there's a guy with three eyes and one of them's blind like things like that it's smoking popes you see some popes smoking but it's just like some of them are combined and the whole page is just 35 different bands where you can just look. And at the end, it tells you which one was which. Yeah, that page was insane to write. I'm sure drawing that was very, very difficult. I, he, yeah, I'm so happy with how it turned out. And yeah, Juan didn't cut any corners because there were so many things in the script you could have like gone over. Like, like, like the reader won't notice that. He, he did every single one. See, that's awesome to me. And, you know, you talk about getting the reference stuff and getting stuff to gabriel for the juggalo story which i, I what, what just shocks me the most about it is just how nailed down that art is for every little detail that's in there the longer you look at any given part of the page the more you see the more you're laughing at and to go in with not knowing those kinds of things to laugh and joke about as like oh these things are funny because of this is you know like understanding it and to be able to still provide that it does raise a question to me okay you mentioned the style cues for that 
you know, the tattoo page, which, you know, they even references this, like, where's Waldo of bands that are just subtly referenced in this imagery, which to me is brilliant. I, I have one tattoo on me and it's a quote. I wanted to do everything I could to keep as few words off of my body as possible and to just, you know, make an image of the quote. Um, and I got it down from like, you know, a whole conversation to just three words on my arm and then an image. Um, which brings me to the question, you know, I see in the back matter of a lot of books, whether you're looking at a subscript or a Substack newsletter from Brian K. Vaughn and he's sharing a saga script and you see all the, the cues down to a T or you're looking at Scotty Young in the back matter of um, Middle West and you're seeing the differences in scripting and, you know, Scotty's pages look absolutely barren compared to the scripts that uh, Brian K. Vaughn pitches up but you can still have these things that seem to just flow seamlessly through the artists once they get these cues and they're still able to do that so i'm curious how much with all these different creators that you're working with did you have a a difficult time coming up with like say the style cues of okay well yes this person's going to have to make this page of 35 bands and i cannot guarantee that i'm ever going to find somebody who's going to reference all 35 of these and understand it themselves so i have to do the work for them and give them the the scripting of okay so a little image of this this and all these little cues um did you find that that was something that you were kind of juggling a bit while going through all these different creators like five pages at a time yeah well each artist is a little different but with davide pupo he and i met at c2e2 in 2020 like a a week before the pandemic or so and he did a story called the lucrative lives of busboys and for that story he he and i most of these artists i've never even had a phone call with most it's just all been email he and i he lives in new york we had a phone call and I was like, what's your opinion on references? Because I've had artists who don't want any. For a book like this, you have to have references for continuity, like what uh, the parent's car looks like or what the T-shirt looks like. Things that you, you see in multiple stories, it, it just has to be the same or a story would, wouldn't make sense. Uh, he was just like, well, I, the more references, the better. He's like, I, I'm going to have to find the reference. So if I can just spend that time drawing, if you find the reference, fine. I'm like, okay, great. So for that story, since that moment on, the book was about halfway done at that point, I have gotten deep into references and not in a way of like, this is what a TV looks like, or this is what I'm not telling anyone what something looks like, but like the, the kitchen at a restaurant, the interior of the restaurant, things like that. Yeah. I will get very detailed if the artist is down for that. And yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's a huge part of the script. All my scripts have a Dropbox link at the beginning with every page and every panel with the references in each one. And yeah, like that tattoo one, like I was telling you earlier, I I think 200 photo references just for that one page, which that's a little over the top compared to the other ones. But no, to to keep the world alive and to have it feel the same, yeah, so many picture references were included. Same with Father Figure, a lot, a lot of picture references. But uh, a series I wrote after that, which probably won't come out for a few years, it's it's just going to be one artist, one world. It, there won't be near like the scripts are done and I've reread them recently thinking I was going to have to capture all these hundreds of images and it'll be fine. Besides what the, that story is about a band. So I will be specific about what, what their instruments are, what types of instruments, things like that. But I won't have to like have the whole like rule book almost for the world to try to capture the Midwest uh, 25 years ago for someone who wasn't even alive or has never even been uh, to the States. All right. And you know, that dips slightly into one of my questions I had about father figure. I know you've dropped, we've just talked to so many creators and there's still so many more that are on these 
issues. Um, I can't remember which one you said is work the artist on Father Figure, but is Father Figure set to be a, a one artist project alongside you, or is that something to kind of expect this uh, conglomerate of creators coming together to tell this story? It's just one artist. It's Juan Romero and then one letter, uh, Hassan Atman El Hal. We did the um, the pitch for Father Figure we made in 2020. So at the same time as when this book was underway and the pitch was initially the epilogue, but the new epilogue, essentially for anyone listening, the epilogue for this book uh, kind of sets up father figure. So, and that was the last thing done. That was just done a couple of months ago. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the team on that epilogue, that's the same team. Nice. Which, you know, also I, I, I was meaning to ask this earlier, you mentioned that there's two versions of the epilogue and, you know, stories that were cut or that, you know, you thought of that could have also continued within this. And I was curious if, um, you know, speaking of the collected edition release, do you have any back matter plans? I don't know how Sumerian and creators work together on that. I, I don't have any Sumerian trades in my possession to know the typical back matter setup for them. But I was curious if, like you mentioned, a possible uh, uh, C side and D side and stuff, if uh, that's something you would be looking at potentially putting out in issues should they arise or if you would put them more in like a back matter thing and then something like that second alternate epilogue um, is that something you think would ever see the light enough in that form or anything as far as back matter um, chapter one in this book was drawn twice the original version of chapter one will be in the back matter and then all of the covers without text will be in the back and i think that'll be it there were the the um, prologue was colored twice I would maybe include the different colors, but as far as the epilogue, the initial epilogue was pages one through 10 of uh, issue two of Father Figure. So I kind of felt like it uh, gave away too much and it gave away like 10 pages is a huge chunk of an issue. It gave away a fun moment in issue two. So that, that'll that still come out, but that'll be issue two of Father Figure. I actually really like that because knowing that I see why, because in my mind, I'm like, wow, this epilogue is such a focal point. Once you get to it, there's this you know, complete tonal shift where you're like, you know, you're following this kid and his misfit friend as they fuck around with little felonies throughout the late 90s, early 2000s, all in the name of impressing a girl. And then that epilogue hits you and, um, you know, not knowing specifically when this is going to drop with release dates potentially moving around. Um, I don't want to get too down into it. Obviously, we know now we've talked father figure was the initial story and that's what's to come. Um, and I, I'd love to dive more into that to the extent we can, but I love knowing that we can look forward to, okay, so that, because like you said, I think that you made the right call. I think a 10 page epilogue would probably be too stark of a tonal shift for something of, you know, giving the tease of what, it, what you have at the end of issue three, I think is perfect because for anybody who's looking at this story as something that needs to have an end game or a purpose, you realize that that's not really what it's about. You realize that this is the what it is. You realize it's these flashbacks of this man who we'll get to know in another story uh, in the future, but having that hit the rest of the story comes in total different waves. I mean, down to the fact, every last bit of the details. I look at that final panel of the smash mug and the words on that mug and my own child-free life stances and stuff like that. And the impact of that hit me so damn hard. Um, and to do that in the way that it was done, 
as surprised as I was when you said it was done two months ago, I, you know, having hearing that, that makes a lot of sense to me why you would have gone that path. And I, I am excited for what uh, it sounds like in the back matter. I'm definitely going to have to get this collected as well because I want all the covers that I wasn't able to get. Um, because I, I, and I meant to look it up because I got the limited cover for issue one. Oh, there it is. The MLS Rosa cover. Um, and it is just absolutely stellar them uh, spray painting the title on the wall and getting approached by cops. Um, and, you know, with uh, issue two coming out this next week, my boss just read it uh, as it came in. Some issues are coming in early. I don't know. Comic releases are weird, guys. I'm sure you know. Yeah, yeah. Is your store putting it out on March 1st or 8th? So we only got one variant, and it's only for the people who ordered it, really. So it's not even, like, going out, out. It's just, like, if somebody ordered it, that variant is out. But the A cover and most of the other stuff is coming later so some of it shows on our side to release it on the first some of it says that'll be in next week to be released on the cool it threw me off because i was like wow how does this issue already in and i realized i was like oh dude my boss only ordered two issues because it it foc before we realized that he loved the series um but he since went back and reordered he's stashing them away because he's like this is great oh Um, nice he, he really really loves the book um, it's a story that I was excited for and I was excited that my boss was willing to bring in. I had zero expectations that I would come into work the day it's out. And he's like, did you read that? Because it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, so that was such a great reaction and it's been such a joy to, to talk about this. He, he took it on Saturday after we batched and he took his issue with them to lunch to read. And we were cracking up about, uh, you know, hot sauce can kill germs, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> You're the first person to, uh, mentioned the the coffee mug at the end of the epilogue no not one person has mentioned that so that's cool to hear that uh you caught that it's impactful (laughs) it's impactful it tells you a lot in a little page in very little you learn everything you need to know about what's to come and with the backlog of again you reach that point of people by issue three are going to be coming in with i think a certain expectation and while i think that expectation is subverted i think it's for the better i think it's in a very delightful way i found it very pleasant um to get to the end of that and you know that final issue there's a lot more of this dream theme and sequences which i'd actually really love to get into especially with uh sure uh dkk um because <laughs> holy shit uh, <laughs> but, but um no i just i i really really i there's the ADHD. There it is, guys. Perfect for podcasting. Perfect for podcasting. Um, yeah, I think that is very effective. Surreal stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was intentional. The uh, the dream like more surreal stuff in issue three, since it's the like side B of the book. Like when it was written as a graphic novel, yeah, that was the the Ethan character really isn't around much in that one. It's more just the surreal, the things you can't explain from your childhood. I don't know if the two of you have that. I have one that where my friend Sean and I one night, this is one of the big influences on a story called Family Therapy. One night in eighth grade, we I don't know if it's because we were sleep deprived. I don't know if it was what. We were two completely sober eighth graders just hanging out, playing video games and chatting. And we were sitting in my parents' basement and both of us were seeing our faces morph into goats and to other, like we were straight up. I don't know what happened. Like if there was acid in my basement and I accidentally took it, I don't know what, <laughs> we were seeing the same thing. And we just stared at each other for hours. It was dimly lit. And then the next night we tried it again and it never worked again. And we still talk about it 20 years later, like mm-hmm. things like that is what I was trying to, um, 
to do with with side B with all my future writing the stuff coming out after father figure I, I really want to embrace like I, I would like my stuff to kind of be an amalgamation of like Kevin Smith Quentin Tarantino but Charlie Kaufman like eternal huh. sunshine like things like that I I like the surrealism I like the just the trippiness I, I, I really love that I want to have more of that than Tarantino and Kevin Smith ever have. I want to mash all those three things together. That resonates with me as an aspiring comic writer more than I really have the words for Tom. Um, <laughs> I'm working on my own book and I'm not getting too deep into it, but those are my, some of my inspirations, especially Kevin Smith and, you know, looking at the comic side of things uh, that you mentioned this, this surrealism and, you know, Charlie Kaufman, I, I, I have ant kind waiting on my shelf for me to read still, but I, I only was uh, introduced to his work it would have probably been in uh late 2020 which uh is a hell of a time to figure that stuff out um but like a- a- adaptation is yeah. a-, a movie while i've only seen it once goddamn is, is it stuck with me every last minute of it um and so you know just you know being john malkovich a movie that every time i heard of prior to seeing it i thought is this a documentary about john malkovich and why is it on hbo all the time like what what is what's going on here um and then finally watching it and being like oh wow this is far weirder than i ever could have expected people (laughs) operating another man inside of this weird you know we don't need to talk about what being john malkovich is but the idea is you know hearing that you have some of those same inspirations and what you're looking to do with it i can really see especially in like like i say well like you said with these b-sides it really does delve into that side of what you can't quite explain or these like what i look at as after being in like just one psychology class, once I learned about the whole concept of fake memories where you can truly plant a memory in your mind of something happening that may not hurt, have or may have or altering memories and stuff like that. I, I have these moments frequently where I'll remember something. I'm like, I don't know if this is a real memory or if I'm just tripping, but I know that this really weird thing seems to resonate in my body as like, this definitely happened, right? Um, and you really capture that in that third issue and the artists that you're working with. Because again, you know, I, I I have them pulled up because there's there's so many creatives I wanted to get around to try and reference as many as possible. Um, but you know, whether it be the the family therapy or Andy's story, uh, it's a total shift from these. What otherwise I I even mentioned early on is this feels like a new age clerks um, is. like I said, it's that tonal shift and it's, it's not really disorienting, but it does have that sensation of reflecting on your past, not having the full details, because unless you have a picture perfect memory, nothing is really going to stick all the way there. And the things that do, you can only do so good at representing them for other people to share that same vision that you had, that same memory to put them in that same place. Um, which, you know, goes back to some of the style cues and reference cues and stuff like that. But, um, no, that's that's awesome. And so for with father figure, um, presumably that will be through Sumerian as well. Yeah, I've showed it to them. Um, awesome. I haven't signed. I haven't signed a deal for it or anything. But yeah, no, I would love to put it out through Sumerian. That would be uh, awesome. I figured as much. But uh, no, that's awesome. Because I, I, again, I got to the end and I was waiting. I was like, okay, I know this is the last issue. I figured something was coming. I get to the epilogue, and once it comes, it it really happens. Um, but. Uh, I'm excited to know what's to come. I'm excited to see what's next for Philip. Um, I, you know, we've kind of addressed some of the things I was curious about on whether it would be formatted similarly with now knowing you've got a, a letterer, you've got a 
a team on it and it's that team through and through on the project. Um, yes, four I, issues that are 32 pages each. So they're pretty long issues. Nice. Well, I, I am very, very excited for that. I'm excited for folks to get around to reading this second issue as it's coming out so I can talk to people in the shop about it. And then I'm really, really eager for people to get to this epilogue because um, this book, uh, you know, now that I've read it all, I can confidently say it's going to be one of my favorites of 2023. Joe and I will be talking about it again in December on this podcast, I'm certain. And, uh, you know, whenever Father Figure comes out, I, I have my eyes out because I'm I'm very, very excited for that. Um, Thanks. Absolutely. I'm excited. I've been this week, because Father Figure, issue one and two, the art is totally done. Issue three is being uh, colored right now, and he has the script for issue four. I've been doing letters on my own this week just to get people's feedback. Um, So Hassan's going to letter it. But yeah, so I'm deep in Father Figure right now. Like last night, I was up till two in the morning uh, lettering. I'm not a professional letterer at all, but it's cool to be able to to get someone's opinion like what do you think of this instead of handing them a script no that's right i, I can only imagine because i mean <laughs> i know i right now the only way i write at the moment is pencil on paper kind of thing so i i'm still in the handwritten i don't utilize my laptop because i just hate it um do you draw like drawing panels draw or oh, oh yeah no i can't really draw either my first comics i drew um like stick figure type drawings but the uh the first comic I ever drew was, uh, hold on, I'll go back. When I got into really writing comics, like 2015, I, I drew them myself. With I, I, I'm not a good uh, artist at all like that. So I was drawing stick figures and I would have a marker to like color coordinate which character is who because uh, otherwise you couldn't really tell. And then I, <laughs> yeah. So then I did have, um, some of those stories were drawn by real artists, but I kind of had to learn how to how to script it then instead. But the first comic I ever drew in my life, I don't know where it is. It was, it did inspire the DKK story. I did draw a comic book in seventh grade where uh, I was Freddy Krueger's son. My name was Tom Krueger. And uh, I looked like Freddy Krueger, but I had hair and uh, hair on the top of my head. And yeah, and then the rest is kind of in how I became a shoplifter. That's the only, that's why that story is in there. It was a, the rest of it's fictionalized, but that was a okay, true thing. I needed to know that. I was like, <laughs> surely this part. That was that. I told Joe, I was like, I'm getting my questions prepped, and frankly, the the number one thing I need to ask Tom is, where's the line, man? What is real and what's <laughs> not? And I'd love to go page by page. Did this happen, or you know, where where's the story? But that'd be a a, a long ass podcast if we needed to do a commentary read through of that kind of thing. But, uh, that's for a, a whole nother time. Um, totally. But yeah, it's definitely a work of fiction, but yeah, it's pulled from real life for sure. And I'm in my hometown right now and it's, it's, it's very interesting, like showing it to people and like so many things, everyone thinks something's about them, even if it isn't, or if it, sometimes <laughs> it was inspired right, by them, yeah. but, but it's like, I'm getting that with everything like down to the, in one of the very small part, like the two kids have a really complicated taco order at this taco place. And my one friend is like, dude, that's so me. And I was just like, oh, uh, I wasn't channeling you, but cool. Sure. I guess it's a good thing if people are seeing themselves in it. I love that because whenever I look at writing, I just like, I'm trying to get past the barrier of like, am I allowed to just like put the people I know into a book and talk <laughs> to them? Because sometimes it's just like, it feels like you get that feeling like, yeah, but to know, like, I, I, it makes me think I just read, um, the high desert by James Spooner, uh, which is a graphic memoir. And 
highly recommend. Uh, but you know, the first part of this book really does read as if it's a very fun and light graphic memoir of you going through what feels like your you know top ten silly shits that I did when I was an adolescent. <laughs> Um, but then you find that there's so much more going on and, uh, I, I love where it's rooted because I mean, as soon as I read issue three, I'll tell you right now, Tom, I, I texted, um, Joe and I was like, does, did Tom just acquire like a son he didn't know about? Um, because like it genuinely, I was like, where's the line? And (laughs) no, I did not. I don't have any kids. (laughs) There you go. Interesting. I was, um, on tour once with uh, where one of the guys on the bus did get that call and he had um, spoiler alert. I guess if you haven't read issue three, um, don't listen to this part, but yeah, that kid in real life was like three or four, which is different than in, in the epilogue, Phil finds something else out, but no, that, yeah. I don't know if that's what inspired it. Maybe it is. Cause um, yeah, it probably is just in my subconscious and that, that experience maybe inspired that, but yeah, it was, it was very interesting writing these in reverse order. I can imagine. Cause that's something that again is one of the first things that came to mind whenever I finished it was what, what came first, you know, chicken or the egg father figure, how I became a shoplifter. Right. Yeah. Um, knowing now that actually is a question I forgot to even make note of, but I've been curious about knowing that father figure came first. What inspired the name, how I became a shoplifter? It was the, um, Chapter one, that's the title of chapter one. And uh, because that story is how he became a shoplifter. And then I just thought that was a, not every chapter is about shoplifting. I just thought it was fitting. It was going to be called Growing Up in Ohio, but I don't think that's as good of a title. Well, I'll be honest, I'm in agreement there. And I think (laughs) you you landed it because it sure as hell got me to order it immediately. If it wasn't, (laughs) even if it wasn't for the clerk's uh, cover. If I would have seen a book called How I Became a Shoplifter and read that solicitation, it, there's no doubt in my mind I'd have that uh, on my pull list immediately. And uh, I'm like, I said, I'm overjoyed that we we managed to damn near sell out on all the regular copies of it um, as of now because uh, we told everyone on in the shop this is the book to pick up this week. Grab it while you can because we're going to be telling everybody to read it. Um, and we haven't had anybody come back that. It, didn't resonate with it and to even have joe come back and tell me that he was able to really thoroughly enjoy this story um and appreciate it for what it is even without having all of what we've already talked about referential there um i just think it's it's a really really cool story and i think it's an excellent way to set up for what is to come honestly um and you know Thanks. It, it it so you had Father Figure written first. The art for Father Figure, was was it still getting worked out as you were working on How I Became a Shoplifter? Yeah, the art for Father Figure came about summer of 2020 is when Juan Romero did the, the initial epilogue. Gotcha. And then he started actually drawing the book in 2021. Cool. So, yeah. So it was like, yeah, I had worked with him on The Taste of Ink, on the, the band tattoo story. Mm-hmm. That was like 
early pandemic when when he did that and then yeah so i guess just only those times felt really long i guess it was only a four-month gap that we didn't work together in between there so but yeah like summer 2020 was drawing father figure and uh i'm really happy that the epilogue resonated with you because there was a chance i was just going to pull the epilogue and it would just ended with the dkk which i don't it wouldn't have felt like as satisfying of an ending i don't think mm. but then the other epilogue gave away a lot of stuff about father figure so that wouldn't have been fun anyway I think you landed right where you needed to, man. I, I know I, I said it already, but it really, really connects. And what you've done is the first two issues and even the first part of issue three sets us readers up with the expectation of there's the art is consistently filled with stuff. There's plenty to take in in any given panel, and then there's plenty to go back and find after the, the matter. Um, and there's plenty to miss. So by the point you reach the epilogue like you said nobody to use mentioned the mug yet that's that was okay what's that say i see one word on there i need to go back and resonate with the rest of it and it immediately clicked with immediately clicked <laughs> with me um and i hope other people feel the same way like i said i do think it subverts expectations uh, for what people might think this story is going to wrap up as um but i think it's going to do so in a way that is going to intrigue them and have people more excited about what's to come than just because i know when i told my boss after he read the first issue that this was just three issues he was bummed Uh, (laughs) he was immediately bummed i was like yeah i know but we'll soak it in while we got it (laughs) and so to know that there's more to come whatever it is to come that it's coming from you and, you know, with this character, Phil, that we've gotten to know over these three issues, um, I'm all in. Um. Well, thanks. Yeah, Phil's the the most recent miniseries I finished. It's called Generation Numb. And there's no art for that. There's no artist involved yet. I would love there to be, but I'm going to wrap up Father Figure first. Phil is uh, a side character in that one. He's important in it, but he's probably on like six pages. Of, it's not his story at all. I so, love yeah, that. there'll be more Phil stories. <laughs> I like that. I I think that's a fun thing to do. I know it's kind of uh, Brubaker and Phillips do that really well with uh, bringing their side characters in to tell their own totally unrelated stories. And uh, I think uh, most recently I think of, I, I haven't read Destiny New York, but uh, Gangster Ass Barista takes place like within Chan. that world yeah. with the side character. So. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, like we were saying earlier, it would be cool if there ends up being a side C, side D. But yeah, I think we'll just have to, I'm going to do these other stories first, but oh, yeah, absolutely. and then come back to that. And if, if there is a side C, it would probably be Molly and Mindy. Like they'd be the main characters for side C and then side D would probably be all of them. See, and that it, you said it and it's what I subconsciously wanted. Um, <laughs> because especially, well, once we get into that epilogue, I was like, this is going to be Molly and Mindy. Um, and it is, <laughs> but uh <laughs> No, I, I, I think it's it's more than ample. It's not like uh, I don't think this story leaves people wanting more in a negative way. I think it's very much uh, if we're to come back to it, say, and even if those present in uh, with throughout father figure learning more about different past things and uh, as things unfold with these characters uh, and new characters come into play, I'm very interested in that and. I'm, I'm very excited for, you know, I don't want to limit it to just excitement over the these two projects. I'm stoked for, for anything you've got going because what you've what you've got here is it it's unique. It's not anything else I've read. It's not anything else on the wall. I can't compare it to any other comics coming out this year. Um, and I, I, I love it. 
through and through. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, and I definitely, I'm getting a little more active on Twitter, but I'm definitely much more active on Instagram and I'm probably going to start releasing more music this year, next year too. I've been, I was putting out music very regularly. That's my background. I was, I was just always on tour in bands and then I had my own solo Hmm. project and the solo project, um, I've only done one so far. I was going to score comic books because there's no sound in comic books. So there's nothing to, uh, like if someone said write a Star Wars piece of music, I would definitely already be inspired by the Star Wars music I grew up on. So it's fun to have a blank palette. I did one for um, Royal City by Jeff Lemire. It just like a one minute piece. So freaking special. I, I oh, that glad you brought it up because I, I was going to reference it as soon as you mentioned the, the scoring a comic. I saw that and I thought that I saw that Jeff Lemire had posted it. So I was like, oh, did, that's yeah. cool. Jeff's doing his own music. And then it came up on my feed later the next day. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> that's Tom just dipping this. I was like, this is like, I need you in my back pocket with every comic that I have. Like, all right, brother, take me away because this Spotify playlist i can't have the same soundtrack for every damn book and (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm hoping i get to do that this year uh have find the time to do it to do like 10 different all one pieces of one minute pieces of music so be a very short album but yeah i think it'll just be i think it's fascinating i think it's a very very cool idea um and you know you mentioned earlier on and we got to talk about some of your music stuff but you also mentioned you have a podcast if you wanted to give a, a a bit of a plug to that um Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, my friend's Andy Schmidt, who he was an editor at Marvel and at IDW and still writes comics a lot. Uh, it's me, him, and a guy named Skid Marr from the Glass Cannon Network. And the three of us dissect movie franchises as a whole. It's called Franchise Fan Guys. And I am normally the guy who has never seen any of the movies. Like uh, They normally grew up on them, and I'm normally the guy who hasn't seen a single one. So we have different takes on them and me without the nostalgia, them with the nostalgia. And we normally do about four episodes per franchise. And my favorite part of it is that at the end, the final episode, we all say what we would do next to further on the franchise. And I think that's the the most stressful and the most fun. It it forces you to be creative and come up with ideas. And I think it's good to keep that part of my brain in shape. So yeah, that's my favorite part of the podcast. It's a damn good selling point of the podcast. Knowing that makes me even more eager to pick out some episodes to listen to after this. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's always so the whatever you see for a franchise, just if you want to hear that part, yeah, just go to the last episode. It's I think all of them. That's what it is. That's right. Nice. Well, Joe, I, I think if you don't have anything else, I just have our our soft think, all fun question. I think just before we get to those, though, I think the first one isn't really a question. It's more of just something to say, and then the second one is an actual question, but I think it's it was interesting hearing throughout the, the conversation about how this was maybe originally at some point going to be an OGN, because I sort of, it, it was definitely the feel with the pacing of like the three issues where side A was like issues one and two, and then side B was only issue three. So it was like uneven, and not necessarily even in a, in a negative way. Just it's just something I sort of noticed like structurally, and so uh, I'm interested to see like what it will be like to just like read it all the way through in the trade, especially with the like different chapter breaks. And so speaking of the, the different chapter breaks in the like towards the end of the book, it's as that the design work was done by Pekka Carey, who that is some of the stories. And something I'm always interested about with these sorts of stylistic choices is how much, um, in this case, was it that you had sort of like a vision 
of how you wanted to design the chapter breaks and how much was it just you telling Becca or whoever sort of designed them just going like to go nuts? Yeah, so Becca is incredible and she there were certain it's both. So initially the, the right. main logo was done by a guy named Lippi Diaz, who he did two of the, the chapter the issue three stories. And right, then Becca yeah. Becca had lettered a few. So Lippy did the um where it says chapter one, chapter two, that's his handwriting. And then as far as all the other stuff, Becca would put in, I mean, I'm going to pick up the book now. Some of the little, there's like on the chapter breaks, there's little images. Those were mainly her, like go with it. She definitely understood this. She understood the story. She got the humor. Those were that. The thing where I would have had big influences, it's, it's the most subtle pop culture references is each of the, like chapter three, the title of it is the picture. And the words, the picture is done in the same typeset as like Operation Ivy, a band from before that period, but around there. And then like Ethan's Secret, the S is the Stussy S that people used to draw on desks like in study hall. Let me see. I'm going through the regular How I Became a Shoplifter. Is, uh, that's just her. She drew that and did that. That one's not referencing a band. But a lot of them, like Family Therapy is uh, the band Goldfinger, their, their right. sort of text. And let me see. Yeah. So I guess not all of them, about half of them have have band related font. They're not really fonts, more like typesets. But no, as far as like end of side A, end of side B, yeah, that was Becca doing that. The the main thing staying consistent would have been just the black background for all of them. And uh yeah, those ended up those and the covers were both uh big parts of the book that I'm really proud of. That like the book was done and I was like telling friends like, yeah, the book's done. But like doing all those chapter breaks and in the trade, there's actually a, a table of contents and a bigger title page, things like that. Um, it, they were their own adventures and doing the covers was definitely 15 covers was, uh, I did those mm. this past summer and that was intense. Writing scripts for the covers was fun, but like, and most of those artists didn't work on the book. So it was just giving them, this is this person, this is this person. Um, here's this. I, I'm not expecting every artist to read a hundred and some pages to, uh, to draw a cover. So it was, yeah, it was a cool experience doing, I had never done that many covers in that short of amount of time ever. So that's yeah. cool. And that brings up for me. Um, so I've seen the way, like when image sends out, Hey, this book is getting a retailer incentive. If you want to do an exclusive cover for it, here's the, the, the drop box of things that you need so that you're not being forced to, like you say, read the whole story and be able to come up with covers from that. And what I've seen is a lot usually concept art. So you say that you were scripting some of these covers or potentially even all of them. So to that extent where, you know, for this, uh, I guess just could you talk about what it's like scripting the covers? Because I've not ever considered the fact that, you know, a cover could be scripted, I guess. Yeah. It's, oh yeah, I'll definitely talk about it. Like, so for the, Main cover of of the A cover for issue one, yeah, Juan Cavia, who his a book um, came out last year. I can't even remember the name of it right now. It's one of my favorite books of last year. But Juan Cavia's book, that the title will come to me. I contacted him and he was down to do it, and I was psyched. So he, I, I put a list of all the characters with links to who they are, and then their uh, like a hierarchy of who's the main character, like going down, and then a list of all random things from the story, like there's a bottle of whipped cream vodka on the cover that's in one of them. There's a bunch of Polaroids. There's a comic book, which the comic book is from two of the chapter, two of the chapters in issue three. There's an N64 controller. There's the straw that uh, Ethan's drinking out of at the end of a hot sauce. So there's like the money in the background when at one point they make counterfeit money. 
So I gave him all of these ideas. And for that one, it was more like, let's do like a, a, a movie poster and then just included all the characters. So that one's mainly just like a big movie poster, like collage sort of thing. He came back with a three or four, like very rough mock-ups where the one mock-up was shockingly very similar to uh, issue three's cover, which Osgur Yildirim did. Um, otherwise, I probably would have chose that one, but it was just too similar in the layout. I kind of wanted all of the A covers to be like theatrical movie covers, kind of showing stuff that happens throughout the whole book more than just like, this is what happens in this issue. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, with issue three, I really liked the covers he did on Loki and I, um, I wasn't like do what you did on Loki, but I really liked how certain characters would be like big. And then like some of the side characters are like smaller, but they're all different ratios on the page. That's, I was just like, do like that sort of thing. Same thing with Oscar. He came back really fast with like six issues, six different options. Um, we went with that one, like the movie poster looking one, but if I would have been able to work with him on more covers, some of those other ones were incredible. Um, I felt like it would have been unethical if I took those ideas and then had other artists do them because he was only available to do one. But it was cool to see different artists um, take on how they, they do that stuff. But they, um, yeah, so the covers that are the Polaroids, those were initially, before I signed a deal with Sumerian, those were going to be the only covers. I wasn't going to do as many variant covers. It was just going to be the main Polaroid shots. And then, um, yeah, but like issue two's A cover with Ethan and Phil in the center taking a picture and then just scenes from the book like circling around them. Yeah, I was just giving... And there's a pinball cover in issue three, same sort of thing, giving the hierarchy of what what should stick out, what's the most important. Uh, in no way did I. It's beautiful. I've only seen it uh, on my screen, but god damn. Yeah, Pierre Loga, he's he's amazing. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He's from Australia. I've never met him or talked to him on the phone, but I've I've admired his art for a really long time on Instagram. I was really happy he was able to do it. I uh, yeah, I haven't seen it printed yet either. I'm really excited to see that one printed. I've only ever seen it on the screen. But a lot of those covers have the same scenes from the book, but I don't think it gets redundant the way because it's such different art. And oh, yeah. Presented. I mean, I know one of the covers for issue one is them like crowd surfing almost a sea of juggalos. And uh, I, I, you're talking on uh, issue two. It's fun because I'm looking at it and it, it is very theatrical in that it shows stuff from the whole story. It is a poster. It shows as much stuff on here is from this issue of issue two there's stuff from the band tattoos but there's also stuff from uh the dreams and family therapy there's the juggalo scene you've got a little bit of everything and i you know going into that issue i don't sit here and especially because i got a, a polaroid cover for that one i, I love the what was it, the girls oh cool yeah Molly and Mindy. yeah 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 melania uh, badosa she I, same thing with her i've loved her art for years on instagram it was so cool to work with her again no i thought that i it's just it's really cool looking back at it because you know after reading issue three i'm seeing all the stuff that's on this for uh issue two and i wouldn't have even put it together without looking at it again because again i didn't order the a cover and those aren't even in the shop yet um <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one was fun that cover has uh my high school band was called limehead that was fun to to see that in print but yeah a lot that one has a lot of little easter eggs all over it like early 2000s easter eggs and one easter egg from this book that uh is very subtle but yeah that that was really fun working with her on that yeah i, I loved writing covers i forget the the class i, I took a uh it was it wasn't a live taught class but the dude who like created the cover for jurassic park and all this he has this it was only like an hour or two it was a few dollars i i did that class online and learned a lot yeah covers just covers matter a lot it sucks. I wish they didn't, but they, it matters so much. So yeah, it's like, I take them very seriously. And I'm, I'm all the artists were incredible that 
I worked with on, on this book. You said there's an Easter egg on this cover. Now I'm just staring intently trying to figure out what Ethan's <laughs> shirt's supposed mm-hmm. to say. Oh, oh, on this is on the, uh, I was talking about on uh, issue two of the girls at school on that cover. Okay, that one. See, I don't have that one in front of me. Oh, okay. Sharp. But cool. I will keep an eye out for it now that I know because I was like, okay, what am I missing? What did I miss? <laughs> no, it's funny. It gives it something to say. And like I said, it's not something that I think – I don't know if many people – from my experience, I didn't think about the thought that you know people are sending these scripts and stuff to kind of add these cues for these different covers because you know whenever I'm looking at the one that I've seen most recently that they actually sent the full Dropbox for is for World Tree by James Tynion. And um, – Looking through and seeing what they have to like offer for this is what the covers that we already have done look like. If you're wanting to do one as a retailer, here's the stuff that you need to see to know what the book looks like, kind of thing. Um, so no, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that about the covers because that that's a really cool touch that I just never thought of. Yeah, and for the one the Juggalo crowd surfing one, Gabriel he sent those ideas. He did that story though, so that was cool. That was one where I feel like that's the more normal way is the artist like having an idea for a cover, right? Um, Which yeah, is you know, what I had assumed, but then, like I said, whenever you sent me the message saying how many cues were on this page for the, the tattoo, which I, I didn't specifically say this, but thank you for going through and putting the labeled one because it makes it that much better to be like, cool, I noticed all of these, but damn it, no, I didn't pay attention to the sign that's literally just the word day and it's green. I, you know, <laughs> uh, my mind saw the Sum 41 sign and I was like, why am I having a hard time doing math right now? And then I see it and it's like, oh, okay, God dang it, Mark. Um, so it's really fun to have that pop up in the store and then get to go back and look at it later on and be like, okay, this is just glorious. Um, but yeah, no. because there was, that, that was the funny thing with that the page of bands because, well, so first of all, I was like, I've heard of one of these. I've heard of a Green Day or in White Stripes. It's like, uh, I don't know any of them, and I, haven't, uh, I only listened to one White Stripe song, and I haven't listened to any Green Day songs, but I've heard of them. And yeah. so I was all, like, looking blankly at that page of that the tattoo, and then I looked at the labelled one, and it was like, I was like, of course, duh. It's like, if I'd actually, like, sat down and, like, actively tried to work them out, it's like, I probably could have got maybe half of these at least, but, uh, of course, I, I just didn't really think about it. So when I got to the labelled one, as, as, as they said, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like, of course. Oh, that's cool to hear that, yeah, if you didn't even know the bands, it made sense then at the end. I love hearing that. Like, like Goldfinger or whatever. I'm counting like, yeah. them up, and I know that I've just... seen some of them. Like, Local Age, I think, is hilarious, because I thought for the longest time I had seen him play twice in Kansas City, relatively close to each other, so I assumed that they were local to Kansas City, and I seeing them, I was like, oh, hell yeah, I've seen them. And, like, the White Stripes having Jack White show under my belt, that is a blast. Um one of my favorites is Jimmy Eat World on here. I think that's <laughs> absolutely hilarious. It reminds me of yeah. Calvin and the Purple Crayon. Um, <laughs> uh, there's just so much to love about this book in every page. Oh, and you know what? I'm actually looking at the Polaroid now because it's in the back of issue two. Um, oh, yeah. I'm going to find it and I'll message you later because okay. yeah, I, I don't have that in me. But, um, Joe, are you ready for the uh, the little fun one? Um. Sorry to keep delaying and pushing it off, but just please do. I was just I was just wondering about the bands. Um, obviously you sort of like really you must really like all those bands. But so when you sort of sat down, it was like these are the bands I'm going to include. Did you just sort of um yeah literally just like write all the ones you'd like, or or was there somewhere like you 
wanted to include them because of their like comedic value did you like were there some that you you like like and know about but didn't include i'm just interested because there's so many there but i was interested like how long it took you and the sort of process that went into that I think it was more bands. I do like most of those bands. Some of the bands I included because um, they were of the time and it worked. Right. Not like not right. all of them are my favorite bands, but certain ones like Alkaline Trio. It's uh, three alkaline batteries all walking, all cartoony. Yeah. That and the Smoking Popes. Like that's just funny visually. Things like yeah. that is what I was thinking of. What inspired it was. Um, the same friend that we uh, saw, we hallucinated together without knowing when we were 14. Uh, he wasn't allowed to get band tattoos. So he was just, but he was allowed to get tattoos and he was going to get just a silver chair tattooed on his arm for the band silver chair. And then, uh, yeah, so that's, that was the, the main part of it. And the other part of it, which was a story was written and it was changed. This was some, I have no tattoos because of this idea I'm about to tell you, which is in the book, but I really was going to get a tattoo of myself on myself. And then any tattoo I got, they'd have to give that person the tattoo. Um, And I was actually going to get a whole sleeve. When I say actually, this is what 15 year old me was telling people I was going to do. I never almost did it at all a whole freddy krueger based sleeve nightmare on elm street based sleeve and then a tattoo of myself on myself that they would have to also give the freddy krueger tattoo to so because of those and because a lot of my friends were like two years older than me and they all started getting like tons of tattoos and some regretting them that i think that's why maybe i just chose to never get any but yeah so i think it was just like yeah the bouncing souls with the dead kennedys things just visuals yeah. it would look nice there, there's a um like a comic book strip just like a one panel thing where it has a few things like this where it's like it has the smashing pumpkins otherwise i would have included some smashed pumpkins but i had seen that referenced before so i wanted to make sure not to include those mm. yeah because i feel i mean like you said there's 35 on here and surely there's ones like that that have to you you cut from the list because it's like look you know people have made that reference before yeah one of the things that i'm noticing that feels like a subtle nod by the artists on here is one of the meat puppets their face very much resembles the spirits in uh one of the ghibli flicks i can't remember which one it is but the the forest sprites that glow and have weird wonky heads it it very much resembles that and i'm curious if that if Oh, that's interesting. The, the puppet that's right under the guy's feet in the yep, chair. Right at the bottom. Yeah. I, if so, then yeah, cool. That wasn't, I, I was just, yeah, I think I in the script, I was like, I was puppets like, made I, of meat. I wonder if that's in one of those. <laughs> it could not be. It could just be coincidental. But no, it, this was one of my favorite pages. I had to send this uh, to, to my buds back in Kansas City because I was like, you guys are going to lose your shit. What you really ought to do is, you know, have you ran this story of the tattooing to like any tattoo artist friends that you have? Because that's what I would love to hear is someone like actually give a quote on this tattoo or something of that nature. No, I haven't. That would, that would be awesome. When I initially wrote this story, I, um, it was a long shot, uh, but an artist named Brian level, I met him at a con. He, he does books for Marvel and DC, but he's also a tattoo artist. And I was like, you would be perfect for this story. He didn't, it wasn't available in his schedule, which I'm thankful for. I'm thankful I got to work with Juan and then continue working with him. But no, since then I have not heard any tattoo artists perspectives on it. I, you should seek that not to tell anybody <laughs> what to do, but that's yeah. my, that was my other thing was I, this dude looking at the, <laughs> look, 
looking at the damn picture, it's such a simple <laughs> image of this man with the no band tattoo sign behind him. Like, you really, really want <laughs> want this shit on you. Um, it's very subtle, which no one's noticed. Which I'll just spoil it. That guy has all these '80s bands tattooed. '80s band, '80s bands all I was over his arms. Tattoos, but oh, I couldn't cool. tell what they were. That's yeah, it's probably epic. yeah. The one you can kind of make out is a Motley Crue cover, like on his wrist. The two, like the, the, the those masks. faces. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, he has a jackal tattoo, a striker, a warrant. Across his chest, he has Metallica. If you're looking that for it, you might be able to see. That much fucking better. <laughs> and I'm also just noticing, I already loved that it was Tatooine was the name of the shop. But <laughs> seeing the $20 off any sci-fi tattoo <laughs> is a limited I am. That's gold. Just golden. <laughs> It's something that this book lands really well. You got to work with some really excellent creatives, and together you all did some really, really fun stuff. Um, yeah, the damn pimp shirt. It's just like that. <laughs> surely you've seen that somebody with that shirt or something, right? Because that's ridiculous. <laughs> it was, I think a friend growing up had one that said like pimp gear or something like that. And then, yeah, just the word pimp, people using that like, yeah, I'm a pimp. He's a pimp. Uh, I think... I don't know if I saw that actual shirt in real life, and but I did some Google searches and found one that was kind of similar to that. That's too funny. Well, we like I said, we could go page by page in this, but uh, I'm glad you appreciate yeah. those little things like that. If there's yeah. anybody that's going to appreciate them, I promise you, it's me. Um, I, I am enjoying every last bit of it, and that's why I'm like, props to everyone. Because when I go to make my post on this book, I'm like, I'm trying to do this new format where I'm more in, intentional about citing every name. Mm-hmm. This, the one downside of this book is trying to <laughs> remember who the hell to cite and trying to get it all in one thing. I'm like, you know, it's just a page. I can just acknowledge that all of this art is just stunning because to, to really delve into this book, as much as it could on the surface seem like this silly ass bullshit book, there's heart here. There, there's, there's character here that, you know, I care what these two dimwits are up to. I want to know what's going to happen in father figure. Now that I've gotten to the end, I wanted to know what was going to happen by the end of the series. Whenever I learned, Oh, I love this first issue and it's only going to be three issues. So, you know, you've done something really rad here and without taking away how rad the creator owned side of you is able to pull this stuff off. Um, we, we like to ask people in this line of work, were you to have the choice to say any IP is on the table? doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be big too. It can be any IP out there, but you could turn it into a comic. What IP would your, like, you know, even if it is a comic and you want to do write a comic, like, yes, the comics exist, but I'd love to write a story within this world. Or if it's like, this has never been done as a comic, but I love this movie or show or whatever it may be. Uh, my answer used to be, not that I get asked this question a lot, but my my answer and my goal was always to do something for Nightmare on Elm Street, but that's not the case anymore because I wrote my own psychological dream story. It's definitely not a ripoff of Nightmare on Elm Street, but I think if I ever did Nightmare on Elm Street, that would make my psychological dream story less impactful. It'd be like, oh, it's the guy who did. So that would have been an answer. That's a huge influence on me. But uh, the answer, it's a tie. It would be uh, Howard the Duck, like a a limited series or like a a 10 issue Howard the Duck story or a, um, a very dark Batman story. But hopefully dark in a in a way we haven't seen. I, I loved how Jeff Lemire did Robin and Batman. That was dark, not in a it's so violent and bloody, but dark in a way where like Batman's manip- having Robin manipulate kit children to learn information. 
from from the the child justice league or whatever the favorite batman story dude i that that, jeff lemire is my favorite comic writer in the industry so for you to mention jeff lemire's batman story that's like i want a series of stories within the dc world told by jeff lemire that really tackles that kind of stuff give us a flash and wally west story is one of them that one of the people at the shop that read this story would do because i mean you look at even if you look through something you know oliver and speedy or stuff like all sort you know any anything you can get with these old stories and looking at the the psychological side of it because you're right it is a darker story for Batman, but it's not darker because it's all shadows and and brutal beatings. And, you know, it's not what we're seeing in the Robert Pattinson movie or Batman the Imposter or Jock's One Dark Knight dark, where it's, you know, these angles of dark. But there is a very, very unavoidable darkness to that story. And like you're saying, I mean, you think this joy, you're reading that issue and it's this joyous romp of, oh, how cool is it to see his first time interacting with the Titans? And he gets back to the cave and Jeff just rips your fucking heart out. <laughs> yeah, no, I loved that. I, uh, yeah, I thought that was really cool. I really like the imposter as well, but yeah, no, totally different thing. Just same. Two uh, of my favorite Batman darkness. stories of the last few years and hands down. Absolutely. And I saw Sorrentino did a poll saying that they, they'd be interested in doing a sequel to the imposter, which would be really cool. But no, that's cool. I think that from what I've read, which is this story, I think you would nail a Howard the Duck story. Um, <laughs> especially Ooh. with the, the <laughs> reference cues you've got in hand, because whenever I think of like the Sadarsky run um, that I've read those, um, even just the fake pull quotes ring true is something that I could see you nailing down really well. And I, uh, I think stylistically you've got, you got what it takes to do either of those just because like I said, there's a tonal shift in issue three for anyone listening to this that managed to get through this without reading the third issue yet, depending on when it's out, there's a tonal shift and it tells me that you've got more depth to you than, uh, a couple of boys getting boners at each other's butts. And <laughs> <laughs> Which might sound really weird, but if you've read the issue, then you'll know exactly what they're referring to. Exactly. That, it's a, it's... And that's the fun of it. <laughs> I was most excited for my boss to get back from lunch to ask him about hot sauce killing germs because I knew oh he was going to come back with something to say that was work-related, and I was like, I'm going to throw him completely off course and say, hot sauce can kill germs, right? And he, he immediately lost <laughs> it. That's great. Yeah, cause, cause, um, because I know that Mightily was interested to hear my experience with the book, I was mes- messaging them as I was reading like the first couple of issues, and, and that was like one of the things that I messaged about because it was just like so funny, like even and again, it all speaks to like the the comedic aspects of the book. Like if it's for you, it, there is that element of nostalgia as we've sort of covered, but it's also just like generally funny. If you if you're into that, if you find that sort of thing funny, then like you will enjoy this. I think. Yeah, because that scene in particular, there's no nostalgia to be had other yeah, than exactly. all, you know the. Maybe a throwback humor. nostalgia for people who are reading it in a point in their life where they can throw back to, oh, I remember when I talked to my buddies about losing my virginity. And, you know, those yeah. kind of talks can get that kind of brought back. But otherwise, that's just very much a human experience and it's comedic as fuck. Um, and I, I, I've said it in my post. I don't think I've said it here. This book is genuinely one of the funniest comics that I've ever read, even though it packs that punch in the last issue. It still stays true to just being overall, I, I mean, you bring the funny to funny books, you know, and 
uh, it's something that I miss in comics. It's something that I look for a lot in comics, and that's why I say this book stands out from anything else on the shelf right now. Um, because now that I've you we've we've read the whole thing, we see that you've got both. You've got the balance. You very much have the balance there, and that's uh, one of the things I'm most eager about with Father Figure is to see some of the uh, the other sides of uh, Tom's mind. <laughs> well, thanks. And yeah, that story, uh, Hot Sauce, was. I like that you bring up that there was no nostalgia or anything like that. That story was essentially me doing a nod to try to make a, a Harvey Pekar type story, like American Splendor, just a story of normal life of just two people having a conversation, but still hopefully having it be entertaining. And yeah, mm-hmm. there's no no explosions. There's no fighting robots. I mean, it's just two kids eating tacos in a gas station. And uh, I'm, it's really cool to hear that you guys both like that one. And, you know, and like we started with talking, being a huge Kevin Smith fan and him as such a huge influence on me, it just rings true to the feeling of clerks of just two dudes working a shift in a convenience store. Is there anything really going on? Not particularly, but is it entertaining as hell? Sure is. And and I think that's what you did here. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, belabor the point, because I know we've touched on it already, but that idea of the title shift was something that was like, quite striking like in a good way I found because as I mentioned it when I talked about the, the structure of the issues earlier but it was that idea where issues like one and two sort of um in some ways like conclude that that part of the story yeah side a I mean um and then with issue three when you, when you go on to side b it's it's a very like silly issue and again in a good way when you have like the stories um one that's just sort of like silly one that's just like quite meta in a fun way and another one that's quite silly and then you sort of um maybe load into a full sense of security is the, is the right like phrase for it and again in a good way just like to reiterate because then you like get to those final pages and i'm like oh it's like that was and like again won't spoil anything but i was like oh right uh, it was like to sort of like hit you um well, yeah happy it, to hear it wasn't depressing mm. or anything I was yeah kind of... it, it was impactful but okay. I, I will say well done, I read I the epilogue to my fiance this morning, and uh, if I'm not child-free enough as is, my fiance is even more so, and they were like, that is so fucked up, this is awful, oh my gosh, and like, it stressed them the hell out. Oh man. <laughs> but oh, it really it sets the stage, because you. I think that you're, I mean, we're already putting ourselves in these characters' shoes throughout the goofs and the gaffs. And now you're putting yourselves in the shoes of, well, we've seen where this dude has been in his life, and now we've seen what's been thrust into his hands. And having the background of, I think it's cool that, you know, you have this story you want to tell, and you're getting this story out first. Um, So often, I feel like it's done, you know, looking at a story like Something is Killing the Children, the prequel comes in volume four or down the road. Um, right, yeah. And I do think that without knowing how father figure is specifically that when handling what you'll be handling based on the epilogue, I think you need to get some of the extra goofy, funny stuff, you know, together, get it put together like you've done in how I became a shoplifter and, and let it work on its own so that it doesn't take anything away from the tone of what's to come in father figure when there's definitely more there's you know the drama there's the dire circumstances that come into play there's there's these kinds of things that we have to look forward to um where it it really shifts you you're like wow 
I've been putting myself in these shoes, and if I'm in these shoes, I'm feeling very unprepared for what just happened to this person. And it, it, it I know I keep saying it, but it, it was very, very impactful. Thank you. That's awesome to hear. I really haven't heard many people's opinions on that epilogue at all. So maybe like five people, literally. So you know, this is really cool to chat about it. And yeah, that was written. Yeah, I wrote that in November and it was drawn in December. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty trippy way to end this four and a half year process of making this book where yeah, some of this art was yeah drawn in early 2019. It just seems, and like the whole pandemic making this book, it seems surreal that that was the last thing drawn. That and then the, uh, the crowd surfing scene at the beginning of issue two, those were the final two things drawn uh, for the book because when uh, it just needed to include, it's fun having a Polaroid on the first page of each issue. So I those were it. some of the, the final ones. Polaroids were a very nice touch. They also <laughs> just really set the stage for the time frame. Totally. Yeah. And then those little cameras where you had to go and get them developed. I was always, and back then <laughs> you would not, allow, at least where I grew up in Cleveland, we wouldn't be allowed. To, I grew up in Canton, Ohio, but would always go to concerts in Cleveland. You weren't allowed to bring those like little $2 disposable cameras where you'd get the worst photo ever taken of a band on stage. So I would just be like shoving them in my underwear all the time. So many memories because you'd be patted down and like sneaking in this camera to just try to sneak a blurry photo that you'll go get <laughs> developed where obviously the times have changed like 15, 20 years ago already. Now people are smuggling their phones into Jack White shows so they don't have to put them in the lock pouches. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize he did that. Uh, he was doing that in 2019 is when I saw him. And uh, I happened to be let in through knowing people. So I was one of the people that had my phone. But I respected his wishes not to be recorded. Yeah. That's cool. It's fun. It's, I get that. I, I think it's hilarious to think about shoving a disposable camera in my pants to carry it because my experience was like, it's the last day of school in fifth grade. I need to take a disposable camera to school and take pictures <laughs> of all my friends. I have no clue where any of those pictures are. Ah, uh, yeah. That sucks. That's how it always is. Yeah, I don't know where a lot of mine are either. Right. Well, Tom, this has been rad. Genuinely, I, it was the highlight of my month. I've been looking forward to this since time, uh, since Joe sent me the screenshot of you asking if uh we'd have you on and uh what what a blast it's been i hope that uh folks get as much of a kick out of this as we did well yeah joe mighty lee thank you both so much this was a blast so yeah this was so cool we'll have to do it again we'd love to definitely especially you know hit us up come time to get things rolling on father figure solicitations so we can get people to pre-order totally it would probably best case scenario be announced around the same time as shoplifter but a year later so like this october Sweet. And then all of my music, and it's under the name Birds in the Airport you know, on Spotify or wherever. That's where all those comic book themes will be. But I also have two EPs um, out currently on Spotify under that name, if anyone wants to check out that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, dude. Well, cool. Thanks so much. This was great. Yeah, thank you. Oh, do you want to, um, to wrap up, do you want to tell people where to find you on social media and all of that good stuff? Or... Sure. Yeah, on Instagram. I'm tom.bryfogle.comics. My last name's a weird one, but it's yeah, B-R-E-Y-F-O-G-L-E. On Twitter, it's Tom underscore Bryfogle. And to uh, a mailing list that I have made, but rarely send out, but need to get on that, you can go to tomwritescomics.com or just my name.com, but tomwritescomics.com is easier to find. And yeah, that's about it. I'm much more active on Instagram. I post, um, like I've been posting a lot of father figure for the last two years. And I continue to do that. I like to post, but without context, I don't want to give away any big spoilers or anything, but just, uh, 
will constantly be posting that once promoting how I became a shoplifter uh, dwindles down in a few months, then yeah, then father figure would be on the forefront of that. But yeah, hit me up on any of those and uh, yeah, check out the book, how I became a shoplifter issue three, uh, I believe now is like the first week of April. There was a snowstorm that kind of delayed the whole run. So yeah, uh, issue two is either March 1st or March 8th. And then, yeah, issue three a month later. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, thank you. As Martin Lee said, this was fun. So, yeah, thank you. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at joetalkscomics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at joelovescomics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye!